0: This is the way the wind measures the weather. This is Burdens, the podcast, episode three. This week's story is entitled Onion Head. It's another story involving the old man that uh, you've been introduced to if you've listened to episodes one and two. He plays more of a passive role in this one. He's the storyteller. I've always enjoyed the, the stories within stories, some of my favorite books and stories are stories nested within other stories and you kinda get that in this story at least that's what I was shooting for you have the old man telling a story to a group of kids and then you have the story that he tells so uh, you'll have it going in and out of that Uh, he'll break the story and there'll be a little conversation with the children and then he'll get right back into the story. I wrote this story for one of my nieces I sent my early stories to my brother, who would read them to his children, and I'd get feedback from them on how they they were. And I felt like my stories were a little dark for his youngest daughter, so I wanted to try to write a fairy tale, or something a little more her age, and I'm not sure if I pulled it off, but it is different from what I usually write, and I'd like to write more uh, fairy tales and things with fantasy elements and maybe I'll be able to do that in the future so this one's a little unique because of that and also one more thing about the title Uh, it's a story about a little boy who's completely bald he has alopecia or something like that no hair anywhere on his body not on his head no eyebrows nothing and uh, I got this name onion head from one of my college professors he told us this pitiful story That when he was a kid and uh, he was playing basketball at that age his hair fell out and he was in a game and he was real embarrassed about how he looked and um, he remembers people in the stands mocking him and crying out onion head onion head and they called him this name it was this really sad pitiful story and I'm not even sure it's true I kind of feel like he was pulling our leg if it was true it's a horrible thing for a kid to go through but it always stuck with me and uh, it came out in this story so my inspiration for onion head comes from him anyway give it a listen to see what you think onion head get quiet now and be still said the old man to the children gathered around him I'm going to tell you a very special story today about a little boy called Onion Head. The children sat expectantly on the wood-planked floor looking up at the old man who sat on a creaky wooden box that had been rummaged from the corner so that it could be repurposed as a chair. The old man often told the children stories in this way. His stories had become routine, a kind of heartbeat in the children's lives. The whole arrangement had come about due to the man's arrival and a change in the seasons. Winter had fallen upon the little village of Arroz, bathing it in cool light that outlined the bare trees with hard edges. Despite the colder temperatures, the children kept up their outdoor pastimes, but the days were shorter, meaning little boys and girls needed their parents' attention before their fathers and mothers finished their work for the day. Which is why the parents were grateful for the sudden appearance of of an old man wearing a dusty cloak and a leather belt. At first, they feared that he might have come as a nuisance, good for nothing but interrupting work and begging for bread. But these concerns soon faded when they observed the children sitting around him in a little circle under the shade of the big sycamore tree next to the widow Sarah's house. From afar, they could see the old man's hands making big shapes in the air and hear his voice as it lifted into loud booms, long nasally drones, and eruptions of wheezing and laughter, always followed by an echo of the children's lighter, healthier mirth. It didn't take the parents long to suggest a mutually beneficial arrangement to the old man that would keep their children occupied during the late working hours of the day and provide for the old man's basic necessities. The widow Sarah happened to have a little apartment above her house, furnished with a chair, a table, a bed, and a small trunk for storing clothing, more than enough to meet the old man's minimal needs. Sarah always had leftovers since she lived alone, so she was happy to share her meals with the old man, although he insisted on eating them alone in his room. In exchange for these humble provisions, the old man agreed to keep the children occupied that winter from twilight until their parents called them home for supper. This, he said, he could do with an endless supply of stories from times unknown originating not from a single author, but from a people stronger and prouder than any the children or their parents had ever known. He did not know exactly who these people were, or where they had lived, but from their stories he was able to surmise that they were very noble and very wise. When it got too cold to sit under the sycamore tree, the old man and his audience moved to a cozy room behind Reuben's foundry. The furnace glowed into the late afternoon, making it a warm place for the children to gather and hear the old man spin his tails. The wood plank floor was always swept clean, and the children would settle into blankets they had brought from home. They listened as they munched on their snacks, and sometimes Reuben's wife brought steaming cups of warm goat's milk, sweetened with cane sugar. The air was quiet in the little room where they met, except for the occasional clanking of Reuben's hammer and the roaring of the furnace. "'when the fuel was added to it. "'Tell us the one about the talking cow "'that sat on her master while he was milking her,' "'said Thomas, one of the farmer's sons. "'The day before, the same boy complained "'about wanting to hear the story about Japhon's flying ship "'until he heard about the talking cow, "'and now he wanted to hear that one. "'It didn't matter what story the old man was telling, "'Thomas always wanted to hear something different. "'The old man was happy to repeat his story sometimes,' especially the children's favorites, but he was not in the mood for repeats today. Hush, Thomas, cried a bossy little girl named Abigail. Let him tell the story he wants to tell. Thank you, Abigail. Yes, that's all right. I will stick with my original plan if that's okay with you, young Thomas. I guess, Thomas said, stringing out the words as slowly as he could while making circles with his fingers in the dust on the floorboards. Now then, said the old man settling in, I believe I was about to tell you the tale of Onion Head. His real name was Rayak. He was not very different from any of you. He liked to play games and climb trees. He lived in a little village like Eros and had a brother and a sister and lovely parents who cared for him very much. There was just one thing that made him different from every other boy and girl he knew. You see, Rayak was completely bald. Now... When I say bald, I don't mean that his hair was thin, or that he had shaved his head and that he was waiting for it to grow back, or that he had a bald patch on his head somewhere. I mean he had no hair at all, not one follicle, not on the top of his head, not even eyebrows or eyelashes. You can imagine what kind of impression Rayak made with the other boys and girls in his village. Some tried to be kind, but they stared. They didn't realize he could tell... But Rayag noticed their eyes shift when they focused on the smooth dome of his head. Others were openly cruel. They gave him a nickname Onion Head. There goes Onion Head, they said, laughing at him. They made awful jokes that weren't very clever, but the children laughed at them anyway. Watch out so you don't bump into him, he might make your eyes water. Stop talking, Onion Head. Your breath stinks. Onionhead is ready for the change in weather. He always dresses in layers. Hey, Onionhead, how long have you been above ground? On and on the jokes came like that. Rayak knew it was best not to take himself too seriously and smile and go on, but the jokes never stopped. He couldn't catch a break. Onionhead, I mean Rayak, sorry, could take the jokes. The hardest part for him was being different. Bald children, you see, are in short supply. Rayak was one of a kind. Everyone, except for a few old men, had hair. Some were redheads, and some had blonde hair, or brown, or black. Some had short hair, some had long. Some of the girls wore pigtails, and some had long, glossy hair that trailed down their shoulders and cascaded down their back. But there was just one little child in the village with a smooth, bald head. Why, Rayak asked himself, Does it have to be me? You don't realize how handy a head of hair is until you lose it. The rain is cold and it tickles your crown as it rolls down. And when the weather is nice, the sun scorches you until you are blistered and brown as your mother's biscuits after she forgot about them and left them too long in the oven. The older men tried to include him as one of their own, supposing they knew what he was going through. They joked, It's just because you're smart. Your brain squeezed all your hair out. Or, look how tall you're getting. Why, you're not bald, you've just outgrown your hair. But even among these follically challenged old men, Rayak could not find an equal, a friend who understood him. For one thing, very few of the older men were completely bald, and those who were made up for it on the lower areas of their faces, as if the hair that should have grown on their heads got misdirected somewhere in their skulls, and came out on their brows, ears, and noses. Besides that, they had their beards. Like you, broke in a little four-year-old boy named Bella, pointing at the old man's electric eyebrows. Yes, Bella, like me, chuckled the old man. Now, where was I? Onion Head was alone, a single, shiny orb in a village full of fuzzy tops. His despair was so great, I'm afraid, that he resorted to drastic measures to fit in. One day, he visited the shop of Jacob the Tanner, who lived by the riverside, and asked for a goat's hide to wear on top of his head. Jacob, who had little more sense than young Rayak, consented, thinking it was a good idea, and Rayak strode confidently back to his village, thinking that now he would fit in. If the other boys thought the glare of his bald head was funny, think how they reacted to his wearing a goat's hide on top of his head. They thought it was about the funniest thing they had ever seen and rolled on the ground laughing while holding their middles to keep from bursting open. The onion has been eaten by a goat, they said. One of the bigger boys ran by and snatched the hide off Rayak's head and recruited it for a game of keep-away. When they were finished, they left it in the dust and walked away, still laughing. Rayak's parents tried to help, but they just made matters worse. His mother even took him to the enchantress. Who lived in the woods on the outskirts of town. It was said that she was over a hundred years old and had outlived six husbands, although she didn't look a day over thirty-five. Even though it was forbidden, anxious mothers frequently visited her thatch hut on behalf of a sick child as a last resort. The enchantress made a potion just for Rayak. He couldn't tell what was in it, but he saw her drop a spoonful of brown sludge into a steaming kettle hanging over her fire. Rayak compared the taste to what he imagined earthworms might taste like. He was sick to his stomach for two days after he drank it, but not one hair made an appearance anywhere on his head, not even an eyelash. "'Just ignore those cruel boys,' his mother told him. "'They're only jealous.' "'Jealous of what?' asked Rayak. "'Jealous because you're special,' she said. Rayak was only nine. But he knew that this was what every mother said— when she couldn't admit that something was wrong with her child. Special meant weird, sick, or broken. It was a word used out of pity, and Rayak didn't like it, especially when it was used to describe him. He preferred onion head over special. "'My mother said I was special when I got caught talking to old lady Mino's rolling pin,' interrupted Ben, a strange little boy sitting in the back who had a penchant for creating awkward moments." The children erupted in laughter, and it took the old man several minutes to quiet them down after regaining his own composure. Thank you, Ben. You are a very special young man, as I was saying. His mother called him special. Besides, she continued, you are still very young. I'm sure the Lord will cover your precious head with hair in his own time and send twice as much as a reward for your patience." "'Great,' thought Rayak. "'I'll go from looking like a stone to an ox.'" His mother meant well, of course, but her assurances of future locks told Rayak that she was just as distressed about his condition as he was. Every year in the summer, the village's chief protector, Enaz, who was concerned about developing young boys into men who could lead and protect the village in the future, organized a two-day camping trip in the hills for boys who had reached a certain age. Rayak's father pressed him to go along with Inaz and the other boys. "'This will be a good opportunity for you, Rayak,' he said. "'You'll see.' Rayak reluctantly agreed to go on one condition, that he could wear his hooded cloak. "'But it's summer,' his mother insisted. "'You'll burn up. "'Either I wear the hood or I don't go.' "'Fine,' his father said. "'Wear the hood.' "'Just try to make friends with the others, okay? "'There are some nice boys going.'" "'Yes, sir.'" Rayak knew none of the boys wanted to be his friend, but his parents wouldn't listen. He was thankful they conceded in letting him wear his hood. This year, Inaz planned to trek into new territory east of the village where he and the boys could explore the Rocks of Timon, an area rumored to be running with veins of gold. Inaz doubted that they would find any gold, But the boys would have a lot of fun climbing the rocks and panning for precious metal in the rivers. At first, Enaz kept an eye on Rayak. The boy's father had warned him about how the other boys picked on him because he was bald. Enaz prided himself in building character, not watching bullies destroy it, so he gave Rayak a spot near him at the head of the company of campers where he could watch him. A few hours into the hike, however, Enaz got distracted and Rayak somehow floated to the back of the herd. "'Hey, look!' a scruffy boy named Eli said, roughly pushing back Rayak's hood. "'I see the rocks now. Come on, fellas, let's climb!' Eli jumped on Rayak's back, who furiously but vainly tried to wiggle out from under the bigger boy. Eli had already mounted his back and was climbing as if he intended on riding Rayak's shoulders. Soon several other boys piled on, and by the time Enaz pulled them off, Rayak's eyes were bulging and red, and he was fighting for breath. Enaz scolded the boys who were responsible. "'What's the meaning of this? Don't you know you could have hurt him? Why are you picking on him?' "'Oh, we were just having a little fun,' said Eli. "'No harm done, right, Rayak?' Rayak sniffed and kept his head down, saying nothing. "'Just for that, you boys won't get to pan for gold.' While the others are having fun, you'll be cleaning up camp. Thanks a lot, Onion Head, Eli said under his voice. They mocked Rayak before. Now they hated him. Rayak looked up at the sun. It had to cross the sky twice before he could go home. Was it even moving? He couldn't tell. They spotted the rocks by late afternoon. The pale boulders jutted out above the clattering stream that sounded like it was full of broken pottery. Here and there, time and the elements had done their worst, breaking the great white rocks into smaller pieces that gathered in piles accented here and there by scrub and rhododendron. Smooth round piles nearer the water revealed that the river had a habit of flooding, the water slowly smoothing out the rough edges with more patience than had ever been exhibited by any sculptor, unless you counted the great sculptor who uses rain, river, wind, and fire instead of hammer and chisel. Inez directed Eli and his goons to set up the camp, while he and the other boys hiked down to the river to take a look. A couple of the boys had fishing nets. If they were lucky, they might catch a few fish for supper. The afternoon was quiet and still, and the water's sounds, shimmering light and cool mist, had a healing effect upon Rayak. He pulled his hood over his head, strolled down to the water's edge, and sat down. He closed his eyes and imagined he was the only soul in the world, no hairy heads mocking him and laughing at him, just him in this beautiful place all alone. He relaxed and let the thought of being alone wash over him. He could be happy being different in a world with only the birds and fish for his companions. Being different is not so hard when the differences are great, like the differences between a jackal and a rosebud, but it is almost unbearable when they are small when they are apparent only to those who are most like you, the people who should be your friends. He tried his name against the canyon walls. Rayak! His voice echoed several times as it bounced back and forth on the rocks. Rayak! Rayak! He listened with great interest. He had never heard the sound of his own voice before. It sounded strange, deeper and stronger than he expected. Is this what he sounded like to other people? He called out again and listened, but this time, instead of hearing his own voice echoing back off the rocks, another voice, a scream, rushed through the woods from the direction of the camp. Then Rayak heard a crashing sound and low snarls. He ran to join the others who were furiously gathering their equipment. Inaz looked relieved when he saw Rayak. "'Where have you been?' he cried. "'Quickly, Rayak!' pack your things. We must see about the others. They are in some kind of trouble. They ran to the camp to investigate, and when they arrived, they found everything in disarray. Some of the bedding and tents were hanging in the trees, and food was strewn all over the ground. The boys they had left to set up camp were nowhere to be found. Help, a voice sounding like Eli's squeaked in the distance. Stay here, said Inas and without any other instructions, their leader ran in the direction of the cry of distress. Wide-eyed, the boys waited amongst the scattered camping equipment for what came next. They did not have to wait long. Another cry, this one coming from a grown man, presumably Inaz, echoed through the forest. The boys scrambled for cover, hiding from they knew not what, but sure of its malevolence all the same some hid behind the scrub on the forest floor some behind the trunks of taller trees one shivered behind what was left of the covering of a tent but his hands shook so badly from nervousness that the fabric made a noise that gave away his position rayak headed for a pile of pale rocks near the river a short distance away from the campsite a crashing noise told the boys they were about to be introduced to whatever had disturbed their afternoon rayak peered from behind the pile of rocks anxiously waiting for the predator to reveal itself. He saw its head first. An enormous profile, three times the normal size, gliding much higher along the trees than the average human. He had never seen anything so hideous and enormous before in his whole life. A giant. It must have been ten feet tall or more. Eyes the size of kettles shifted underneath lazy, half-closed lids. The creature was sniffing, as if it were trying to locate its prey by sense of smell. Two other giants joined the first. Their hair was matted and full of moss, and their legs were barnacled with slimy creatures. They wore tattered one-piece tunics opened in the front, exposing chests, with a few cords of hair crawling over skin, stretched across a prison of ribs. They were talking in a strange tongue Rayak did not recognize. Rayak saw what had happened to Eli, Inaz, and the others. They were trapped in mesh bags made of rope, slung across the giants' backs. Inaz's face looked empty, resigned. The boys were in a panic and continued to cry out, although they knew it was useless. It didn't take the giants long to sniff out the location of the others. Reaching behind the trees or the scrub, they easily scooped up the remaining boys, the small bodies barely longer than the giant's hands. These they deposited in the bags with the others. They had missed Rayak. As it turns out, his bald head was the perfect camouflage among the smooth white rocks near the river, and because he didn't have hair, he didn't give off the sweaty odor, characteristic of all little boys who had been hard at play. Rayak watched the giants from his hideout. They were overjoyed by their harvest of fresh meat. They laid their bags down at the foot of a large water oak. Their mouths watered as they watched the bodies wriggle. Wide grins exposed teeth the size of full-grown goats, and Rayak thought he saw a part of a sandal caught behind an incisor in one of the giant's mouths. While two of the giants gazed at their catch with satisfaction, the other scanned the ground for something. Rayak saw him pick up a large rock. What was he doing? Was he thinking about killing the other two and keeping the boys for himself? If he killed his companions, Rayak's odds improved. It's easier to fight one giant than three. The giant swung the rock back, preparing to throw it. He was going to kill them. He lofted it into the air with perfect aim, and the rock struck one of the giants squarely on the back. But to Rayak's disappointment, it crumbled into dust against the hard shoulders. The giant who was struck by the rock didn't seem hurt at all. On the contrary, he seemed quite amused. He and the other giant who had been gazing at the bag full of children laughed hoarsely, wheezing out until they had no more breath and then croaking huge inhalations of air. Now the other two joined in the fun, finding rocks and hurling them across the camp at their friend. The ground shuddered as the giants dodged playfully and the rocks fell to the ground. Hot and tired, the happy giants retired to the stream to cool off. The report of a loud crash told Rayak they had jumped in. He wondered if there was any water left in the stream and imagined fish flopping around on the bare rocks of the river bed. Rayak figured the giants would stay occupied in the stream for a while and took the opportunity to steal over to the bag where Inaz struggled vainly to set himself free. Rayak, quick, he said. "'Untie the bag and set us free.' "'There's no time,' cried Rayak. "'They'll be back before I can get you all loose, "'and then I will lose the element of surprise. "'They will recapture us all, myself included, "'and then we will be lost for sure.' "'Rayak,' rasped "Inez, "'Let me out. We'll think of something. "'No, it won't work. "'What are you going to do?' "'I don't know yet. I'll think of something,' Rayak promised. "'He ran back into hiding.' while Inez angrily cursed at him for leaving him in his predicament. However, just as Rayak predicted, the giants returned before he would have had time to set any of his friends free. Thinking they had captured the whole lot, they sat down to rest. They spoke in deep, indecipherable syllables, discussing perhaps the best way to prepare their captives for the evening's meal. Should they roast them slowly over an open fire? or wrap them in leaves, set them over hot coals, and bury them with earth. Maybe they were best eaten raw with a little cucumber. While these deliberations were going on, Rayak furiously pondered over what to do. He wasn't stronger than the giants, so he would have to outwit them. He had an idea, but it was a long shot based on nothing but hearsay, an old belief from folklore that giants were afraid of the number four. "'Wait a minute,' said Jonas, one of the older boys. "'I have never heard that.' "'Well, then,' replied the old man, "'have you ever lived in close proximity with giants?' "'Not that I know of, but... "'Well, how, then, are you in any position "'to question whether they are afraid of the number four? "'asked the old man. "'Fear is all around us, and it comes in different shapes and sizes. "'Elephants are afraid of white mice.' "'Earthworms are afraid of vibrations in the earth, "'little children are afraid of the dark, "'and giants are afraid of the number four. "'These fears are neither rational nor helpful, "'but they exist. Can you deny it?' "'No,' said Jonas. "'And why shouldn't the number four be terrifying? "'It's powerful. "'Items line up all over the earth in obedience to it, "'yet no one has ever seen it. "'Although it is invisible, no one denies its existence.' Think of all that depends on four, a bedsheet with its four corners, the sum of two plus two, the great square in the night sky, even the earth with its four directions, north, south, east, and west. It is recognized in every civilization and in every isolated place across the world. We may speak different languages and worship different gods, but no one denies the power of four. Fine, said Jonas, but why are giants afraid of it? I'm not. They just are. Everybody knows that, said the old man. That is why they prefer humans and ostriches to other prey, because they stalk on two legs instead of four. I just never heard of giants who were afraid of the number four. Well, you've never heard of giants who weren't. Besides, this is my story. Now be quiet. As I was saying, Rayak came up with a scheme based on something he had heard about giants being afraid of the number four. He had to act quickly before his friends wound up in their captives' enormous digestive systems. Starting on the opposite side of the river from the campsite, he lined up three sets of four smooth white rocks of equal size along the river's edge. When this was done, he added a fourth set, leaving one rock out so that it had only three. Standing back, He surveyed his work. Before him lay four sets of rocks, visible just beyond the river, with a gap between the second and third rock in the last set. This space was for his head. Rayak had carefully chosen rocks approximately the same size as his head, intending to hide amongst them from the giants in plain sight. He was counting on another unproven belief about giants, that they generally had poor eyesight, and that was why they relied on their sense of smell to catch prey rayak remembered the echo of his voice upon the rocks he scurried to his place facing away from the camp so that only the back of his head showed completing the last set of 4 making 16 perfectly positioned rocks a giant's worst nightmare if what he had heard was true hey big guys you missed one rayak's little voice bounced around the rocks in reverberations disorienting the giants. Their conversation came to an abrupt halt, and their nostrils flared, sniffing to find the source of the sound. Whoop! Rayak tried a shorter tone. The giants couldn't understand him anyway. He hoped the echoes were distinct enough to lead them to the river without giving away his location. The giants slowly made out where the sounds were coming from and headed toward the river to investigate. They didn't see Rayak's rocks yet, so he took two small stones and began knocking them together in a pattern. Clack, 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 clack. Four beats. The giants froze. Rayak, who was facing the other direction so that the back of his bald head blended in with the other rocks, heard them stop moving, but he could not see the look of panic on their faces. He let the echoes of the clacking rocks dissipate into silence. The giant's head swung heavily left and right, and their black eyes strained unsuccessfully to see what had caused the percussive rhythms. They listened. The canyon returned to the familiar roar of the clattering river. Then Rayak banged the rocks together again. Clack, 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 clack. He continued hammering the rocks together in this four-beat rhythm, triggering a primal instinct that lay dormant within the giant's a horrifying fight-or-flight impulse that sent chills up their spines. One of the giants managed to locate the direction the sounds were coming from and spotted the sixteen rocks arranged in groups of four. He gasped and shook the other two and pointed in the direction of the rocks. The giants broke into a cold sweat. What foul, evil force arranges rocks and fours? As they looked on in horror... Trying to decide what to do, Rayak prepared the final part of his performance, still not knowing whether his plan was working. Taking a deep breath, he let out a long, unearthly howl, doing his best impression of what he imagined an evil spirit might sound like, and began moving up and down slowly as if his head were levitating among the rocks. All three giants pulled at their beards and looked to one another, trying to decide whether the dinner they planned was worth the risk of being consumed by the evil forces of four. Deciding it was best to go hungry for the night and live to hunt another day, they tore through the canyon away from the river, putting as much distance between themselves and the Rocks of Timon as quickly as they could. Rayak followed the path the giants had cut into the undergrowth by their panicked escape Large branches swung by splinters from tall trees. Mud had splashed onto boulders along the way, and a log had been decimated by one of their huge bare feet. He trotted back to camp where he found Inaz and the boys tied up and lying beside the fire the giants had built to cook them. They were surprised to see him and begged him to run, warning him about the giants. Smiling, he told them he did not think the giants would return. After untying them, They packed up what was left of their camp and returned home, deciding that they had had enough adventure for one trip. Rayak returned to his village a hero, and nobody ever called him Onion Head again. From that day on, his people celebrated the things that made them special and never again made fun of people for being different. They even instituted an annual festival in Rayak's honor. On the same day every year, the villagers take a break from their work and gather for a feast with music, singing, and dancing to commemorate Rayak's valiant rescue of Inez and the campers. All the boys shave their heads and play among the rocks of Teman, all because a little boy with a bald head outwitted the giants and saved his friends. Silence hung in the air over the little group. and For a moment, nobody stirred. Finally, Jonas said, "'Ah, come on. I've been to Tiemann several times. My aunt lives there. There are no white rocks, and I've never seen a festival.' "'Maybe it's just a story,' replied the old man. "'Maybe it never happened. Then again, you could have just missed the white rocks, and maybe you visited the wrong time of the year to see the festival. Either way, it doesn't make the story any less true. Factual or not, It may be truer and more reliable than anything you have ever heard in your short, blessed lives, except for Torah. Look deeply into your hearts and see. The old man gleamed. Then again, who am I to say? I'm just a storyteller. You've been listening to Burdens, the podcast. For more information, visit DrewKaiser.com.